the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. She hit me first. That was the battle cry that was being repeated all over cable news last night. You probably heard a lot about it from about 6 o'clock last night on. That's what Michael Avenatti, also known as the creepy porn lawyer, according to, uh, he's pretty much had that name stick since Tucker Carlson gave it to him and refers to him as that every time he mentions him. Anyway, uh, the creepy porn lawyer was screaming at the cops uh, that he she hit me first when he was arrested and charged with felony abuse. Uh, we're trying to still, fi- still trying to figure out exactly who the woman was. It's not his uh, uh, ex-wife. And uh, I guess there are varying reports on who the woman or how the woman was is related to him or what his relationship was or is with the woman. But anyway, the reaction from the she hit me first or to the she hit me first um, cry uh, was from everybody was either, you know, call him a rat or a coward or laugh at him. I, I laughed at him. And then I got to thinking about it. And of course, that's when I get into trouble when I have a little too much time to think about something like this. So here's what I was thinking about. Um, Because I I, I laughed at him and I thought about, you know, what everybody else was saying and watched what was going on. Do we have to change our thinking on the she hit me first defense? Now, I ask that because I'm told we have to change our thinking on just about everything else when it comes to gender and the relationship between the two genders. Although we have to change our thinking on that because, well, we don't know exactly. I don't know how I've lost track of how many genders there actually are, but. We have been hearing for a while now that women want to be treated equally with no exceptions. And that includes women who decide to identify as men wanting to use the men's room and vice versa. So here's the question. If there are no exceptions, why wouldn't she hit me first be a good defense for the creepy porn lawyer? Women who demand total equality are going to have to follow the same rules that men have been following for the last, I don't know, 5,000 years or so. If you hit another person, you do so with the expectation that that person is going to, you know, hit you back. Now, men know that they shouldn't ever punch another man unless they're prepared to duck or be hit by a punch coming right back at them. Or something's going to happen to you if you hit somebody. You don't just get to hit somebody and stand back and observe what, you know, the reaction to it. Something's coming back at you. So are women equal when it comes to taking a punch in the mouth? You know, should little girls be told never to hit anyone unless they expect to be hit back? And should little boys be told, listen, boys and girls are the same, no exceptions, but if a girl hits you, hit her back. As I said, they're equal. And as I said, I get into trouble when I have too much time to think about this stuff. I've never really gotten an answer to my question about the whole women and children first issue when it comes to lifeboats. I'm I'm waiting for the feminists to clear that up. Has that been changed to just children first? Because if it has, there's going to be a big change in the makeup of survivors of sunken ships. Is it just children first now? Meanwhile, speaking of Avenatti, remember when you couldn't turn on CNN or MSNBC without seeing his mug? They loved him when he was chasing after President Trump with Stormy Daniels. He was conspicuous by his absence after his arrest yesterday. Our friends at Newsbusters checked it out this morning on New Day on CNN and Morning Joe on MSNBC. You know how much he got? A total of 67 seconds from them this morning. That's in a combined six hours. Good Morning America and the Today Show did full reports, a couple minutes long each. But they highlighted his denials, according to Newsbusters. Now, meanwhile, from March 17th through August 12th, Morning Joe interviewed him seven times. That's just the morning show. And I, I don't have the count here for how many times he was on the evening shows because it seems like he was on there every night. And New Day on CNN over that period of time had him on 13 times. Again, yesterday, 67 seconds combined over six hours. Amazing how that works. Meanwhile, on to other things. Amazon didn't accept Pittsburgh's invitation. Uh, A lot of excitement when the uh, news came out that there was a possibility that they would move their second headquarters here. It didn't happen. And you're supposed to feel bad about that. 
But you know what? Maybe you shouldn't. When we come back, we'll have someone from the Heritage Foundation here to tell you why you shouldn't feel bad about it. Right here on AM 1250, The Answer, John Stoggerwald Show. be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. The 2018 Donut Hole is closing fast. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you have some important decisions to make today. This is John Stagerwald. Medicare is confusing. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know you have questions, and they have the answers you're looking for. Before you lock in for another year, are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold Pat for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year and how much should you switch your part d prescription plan or drop it all together don't go it alone let marley financial steer you to a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want a plan that focuses not just on cost but quality with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses visit marleyfg.com today that's marleyfg.com Did you know that when you buy a mattress from a retail store, that mattress is being sold for the second time? What do I mean? Well, the manufacturer sells the mattress to the retailer, who in turn sells it to you with costs and markups for both parties. At the Original Mattress Factory, we have our own factory right here at our store. So the mattress you buy is being sold for the first and only time. That's why our prices are hundreds less than the mainstream mattress brands. Stop by one of our factory locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see for yourself. It's been a full day. The to-do list is done, the kids are in bed, the dishes can wait. Right now, this moment is just for you. It's your chance to unwind. It's your end of day, ah. At the Original Mattress Factory, we're proud supporters of the end of day, ah, and we want to see how you relax at the end of your busiest days. Share your posts on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the hashtag end of day, ah, for the chance to win a $1,000 Original Mattress Factory gift certificate. Relax. You've earned it. This is Dr. Sebastian Gorka. President Obama's eight years of leading from behind left the world in flames. From Russia's invasion of Ukraine to North Korea's missile tests and a growing ISIS caliphate. Under President Trump, American leadership is being restored. But that does not mean our enemies have disappeared. That's why I wrote my new book, Why We Fight, defeating America's enemies with no apologies. As a former deputy assistant to President Trump for strategy, I explain the threats posed by enemies like Russia, China, and the global jihadi movement. We must know our enemies and have the will to defeat them. In my book, Why We Fight, we take off the political correctness blinders of the Obama years and learn how we can vanquish our enemies without mortal combat. Sebastian Gorka's new book, Why We Fight, Defeating America's Enemies with No Apologies, is available now from Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Over two-thirds of Christian young people will step away from their faith while attending a non-Christian college or university. But AM 1250 The Answer and Salem Media Pittsburgh have a solution. Salem Media Pittsburgh has partnered with Judson University, a private Christian college, in offering a limited number of special grants designed to decrease the cost of tuition by over half. These tuition grants are available now. Call our tuition solution specialist at 412-503-4769 to reserve yours. The economy is growing Businesses are hiring, and Americans are feeling good about their future opportunities. Looking to upgrade your career? AM 1250 hosts an online virtual job fair, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every day of the year. Keyword virtual at TheAnswerPGH.com to find our newest employment opportunities from the comfort of your computer or smartphone. Sponsored by Express Employment Professionals of Robinson Township. The virtual job fair at TheAnswerPGH.com. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, who knows if Pittsburgh ever had any real shot at getting Amazon to move its headquarters here. It didn't happen. As far as I can tell, life is still going on. I haven't seen a caravan of moving vans or anything heading out of the city. It's apparently not the end of the world, or is it? Aaron Wren is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's looked into what not getting Amazon can mean. He joins us now. Uh, Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. So uh, should there be a pall over Pittsburgh right now because Amazon shunned us? No. 
Uh, I wouldn't feel that way at all. In fact, I would feel good that you were even on their final 20 list, got some good press for yourself, and didn't have to shell out all the subsidies. So what was uh, was what Amazon got from New York and D.C. a classic case of corporate welfare? I would say that it is simply because those markets were obviously the best places for Amazon to go in terms of having the absolute most talent. If costs and taxes were the main factors, they never would have picked those places in the first place. So it's hard for me to imagine that subsidies were the deciding factor in where they went. Well, what counts as a subsidy? Is a, is a tax break a subsidy, uh, or is that just a uh, just a uh, an incentive? Well, I guess one man's incentive is another man's subsidies. What I would say is uh, any anything that gives one company a leg up that other companies are not getting counts as a subsidy in my book. So yes, some of these uh, incentives to Amazon are going to essentially be. Uh, taxes that are being foregone that would not have been paid if Amazon had never located there. That's common in most places. Nevertheless, that's not a deal everybody else can get. I'm not getting any abatements on my taxes. Yeah, right. So, but I always wonder when I see these deals, uh, whether they go through or not, when, you know, cities make these offers, if giving those tax breaks is does serve as an incentive, and if you want to call it a subsidy, call it a subsidy, but if it, if it does serve as an incentive to get Amazon to come here, why wouldn't cities uh, understand that the better the tax situation, the better chances you have, the better chance you have of getting really good uh, companies with lots of employees to move to your city? Uh, you know, why does it take chasing after one particular company to convince people and taxpayers and everybody else that low taxes is a good thing? Right. Well, it is an interesting uh, point that if low taxes are good for attracting Amazon, why wouldn't they be good for everyone? I would say taxes are clearly one of the factors that go into deciding where businesses are going to locate and set up shop. There are other factors, too. One of them is uh, just just the situation that the Amazon deal exposes. Do you have to have some kind of an in with City Hall in order to get a deal? Places where you have to have an in to get a deal, where it's a very corrupt or nepotistic, uh, cronyistic, uh, pay-to-play system, uh, is not a place that's going to be attractive to business unless you're one of those big companies. So I'd also be looking at some of those non-structural factors, people who try to put together the best package of quality services, efficient government, low taxes, uh, fair play. Uh, they're sending a message to everybody uh, about the kind of place they want to be, as opposed to those who want to, you know, pick and choose this connected crony, this real estate developer, this particular favored firm, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the, the people who, uh, the, I guess mostly people on the left, they will uh, cry about tax breaks for billionaire companies as if that's a bad thing. Um, but they seem to be okay with taking the jobs that they end up producing. Well, I do find it interesting that, um, uh, yeah, they, they're very dependent on these uh, billionaire-class companies to finance the budgets of places uh, like New York and San Francisco, et cetera. You know, what I, would, what I would say is some of these places like San Francisco or New York really are, or D.C.'s the same way, they really are different than everybody else's community. Washington is where the federal government is. And so if you want to lobby the federal government, if you want to do deals with the federal government, you basically have to be there. And, oh, by the way, whatever taxes and such you're being put on, you can just pass it back to the feds on your cost-plus contract anyway. So they can get away with things that average places can't. Uh, and so it lets them, in a sense, posture uh, about tax rates um, only, only by virtue of the fact that they have the, the federal government there. So I think some of these activists don't really take stock of the realities of the situation on the ground in most places, which is very different from these very handful of high-leverage cities. And isn't the the other side of it also that if Amazon or any other company doesn't come, you if you don't get anything. You don't get any taxes. And so you're not – by not having them come, you're not really saving anything either because you're not getting anything. So it's it's you're, you've you haven't gained nor have you lost anything by not making the offer. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's one way to look at it. I will say with Amazon, it did take up a lot of time and attention that could have been going to uh, improving public services for everybody, maybe running a little more efficient government that could have benefited everybody. But on the whole, you're right. I mean, if Amazon doesn't come there, you basically haven't lost anything. So we're talking to Aaron Wren. He's a uh, fellow at the Manhattan Institute, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, Aaron, you have examples in your piece at The Atlantic about other cities that have benefited from losing deals like this. Uh, can you explain that? Well, well, I think it's a situation where you can sometimes win for losing, and that you know, when you want to win a deal like Amazon, you end up essentially buying the business in some cases. Uh, a great example of that was a United Airlines maintenance base that was going to be opened in 1991. This was the Amazon HQ2 of its day. It was the biggest economic development deal in the country. The United ended up picking Indianapolis over Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma City decided after losing that they would focus on improving their own community and ended up really transforming that, that town over the next 25 years. Indianapolis got the facility. It closed after less than a decade. It never created the kind of jobs that it promised, and I believe the city is actually still paying off the debt for the incentives all these years later. So uh, being the loser actually maybe did more for Oklahoma City than winning would have. And are there other examples, too, of, of cities that have taken um, what looks like a defeat and turned it into a positive and maybe something Pittsburgh could learn from? Sure. Um, you, you know, a good example is uh, New York City's 2012 Olympics bid. Uh, the city was one of the finalists to host the 2012 Olympics, ended up losing to London. But they used the hammer of the Olympic Committee to push through a bunch of changes that would have otherwise been politically impossible. Uh, one of them is they rezoned much of the far west side of Manhattan in order to permit um, a lot more intense development, high rises over rail lines and things like that. And right now, the largest private real estate uh, project in the country, it's called Hudson Yards, is going up on the far west side of Manhattan. If not for the Olympics bid that New York lost, that all that real estate and all the taxes that it's generating and all of the spinoffs that are going to be around it wouldn't have happened. So they were able to de- develop sort of the political, the political will to do things during that period that that they might not have otherwise been able to do without a deal like that. And so that's what you really want to use things like this for. You want to use them as a as a way to try to cut through some of the red tape and uh, accelerate things that you probably needed to do anyway. And um, it would seem to me that not getting the Olympics would be a win for any city, uh, based on right. what you see in the aftermath in places like Atlanta, Montreal. I don't know about London. I, I, I think London is the same thing. And um, Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, they just – the empty stadiums, empty buildings as soon as the Olympics pull out. Right. So, you know, they, they were able to, again, interestingly, the Amazon HQ2 in New York is going into an area near where the Olympic Village was proposed for New York. <laughs> so, in a sense, you know, it's tenuous. I don't want to be too, uh, you know, to be too audacious here in my claims, but there is something of a tenuous connection between losing the 2012 Olympics and getting Amazon all those years later. Wow. And again, the Olympics, that's a glamorous thing, and people, maybe some people get excited about it, but I've talked to people who live in Atlanta, and it was nothing but a nightmare for everybody. Uh, it was just torture, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so, uh, what's, what's Indianapolis doing after losing out on Amazon? Well, I think a lot of the um, – one of the things that they tried to do was really uh, – they were trying to push forward on their technology industry similar to Pittsburgh, and they were trying to essentially get uh, a lot of the people in the area to move away from thinking about attracting businesses through subsidies and things like that and to start thinking about it in terms of attracting by by having the best talent and having the best city that people want to be in. That's similar to what's been happening in Pittsburgh in that these companies are, are coming, they're attracted by access to you know, the, top, uh, the top researchers in machine learning at such, at Carnegie Mellon, or, or the top medical uh, research at uh, the Pittsburgh Medical Center. So uh, they're trying to migrate some of the same way and get some of the thinking away from subsidies from some of these other places, and they were able to, I think, demonstrate that to a lot of people. And it gave them a platform to help showcase their 
their community. I mean, a lot of people hadn't thought about Indianapolis in terms of tech community, uh, but they've been doing pretty well. One of their local startups was bought out by Salesforce.com for $2.5 billion and uh, now the, the second largest Salesforce office outside of San Francisco. So they were able to use this as a platform to market themselves as well. And I think Pittsburgh did the same. I mean, Pittsburgh was really able to get its name out there uh, quite a bit um, as a result of uh, as a result of being on that final twenty list. Uh, and do you think Pittsburgh ever had a shot? No, I don't <laughs> believe that these small cities. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I was thinking that Amazon would be more cost conscious and might go to like a Chicago or a Dallas. But to hire 50 or even 25,000 workers, you need to be in a much, much larger metro area. So I, I always thought it was an outside shot that, say, a Pittsburgh, Columbus, Indianapolis, Raleigh, Austin, those places would get it. They're just too small. It's just too hard to hire 25 or 50,000 people uh, into, the, into those places. It, it's very rare. Even New York City, which is a huge city, only has two or three employers that uh, employ more than 25,000 people locally. So it's just very rare to see private sector employer uh, of that size, and you need to be in a really big city to pull it off. That's a huge number of people. What kind of jobs are we talking about? Twenty five thousand, well, no matter where it is. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a huge it's a huge number. I can't even begin. To, I don't even know what the largest um, the largest private sector employer in Pittsburgh would be. But I looked up in Chicago, the largest employer in the Chicago Loop that's non government uh, only employs twelve or thirteen thousand people. Wow. So we're looking at two x the size of, say, J.P. Morgan Chase's operations there. I mean, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase has uh, around 20,000 in Columbus, Ohio. That's where Bank One used to be. Uh, but that, that's just rare yeah, but so, that many employees. I guess what I'm wondering is, if, is let's just, if, if Amazon or anybody else, uh, well, let's just say what, what's happening in New York and D.C., what mm-hmm. kinds of jobs, how many of those 20,000 or 25,000 jobs are Good jobs and jobs that are going to re, are going to cause people to quit the job they have now and go to work for Amazon. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard the uh, the exact figures for those cities, but I know in Nashville, where um, Amazon is putting five thousand people, uh, sort of a, a regional operations headquarters. That's something that Pittsburgh might have been more much more competitive for. The average wage is going to supposed to be one hundred and fifty thousand a year, so that's not chicken feed. That's the kind of money that would get people interested. So uh, certainly the ma- the majority of those jobs are going to be, you know, significantly high-paid professional jobs. Probably not all coders uh, because, you know, companies right. have to do a lot. But, uh, uh, you know, Amazon, I just saw today Amazon has 10,000 people working in their uh, Echo slash Alexa division, you know, those little yeah. things that you can speak to by voice. Right. And they're they're looking to get into all sorts of things, and uh, so I would assume there'd be a wide variety of jobs, but predominantly high-paying. I only have a, a minute left with uh, Aaron Wren, of the uh, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Just a quick question here, Aaron. Should govern, the government be all that eager to help Amazon gain more market share and become bigger than it already is and more powerful? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think we, we already have a situation where Amazon is a – you know, you know, number one or number two in terms of market cap of all companies in the world, Bezos is the richest man in the world. Do you really need to be making that guy even richer? Uh, it was like a great picture on the cover of the uh, New York Post of Bezos uh, holding money bags out the helicopter, heading to the heliport they promised to build him. And, you know, why you're giving money to the richest man in the world is a little strange to me. Yeah, well, Aaron, I really appreciate you being here and uh, clearing this up for us. So, people, we don't have to have uh, a pall over our city because we didn't get Amazon. We weren't going to get no, it I'd anyway. I'd feel very good if I were Pittsburgh. You guys are doing uh, doing really well in the in the tech world. Uh, it's not Silicon Valley or Seattle, but you don't need to be. Uh, you're being very successful, as far as I can see. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay, and we'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump will travel this weekend to California, which continues to battle deadly wildfires. The White House says the president will visit California on Saturday to meet with individuals impacted by the wildfires. Earlier this week, Mr. Trump dispatched his interior secretary to the state to support efforts to contain the fires and meet with officials, firefighters, and first responders. The president has mourned the loss of life and thanked fire crews for their courage. He also has criticized California officials blaming the wildfires on poor forest management. Greg Clugston, the White House. On Wall Street today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up by 209 points to 25,289. The Nasdaq rose 123. The S&P 500 up by 29. Oil climbed 21 cents to $56.46 a barrel. This is SRN News. Hey guys, Ken here from the hit podcast, Today's Growth. Who would win a three-mile bicycle race, an 11-year-old girl or last year's winner of the Tour de France? It all depends on the bicycle. It depends on their vehicle. Both on a 10-speed and the pro racer is going to win every time. But put the racer on a tricycle and the 11-year-old wins every time. You see, it's not the driver. It's the vehicle. When it comes to generating revenue, it's exactly the same. If you have a job or a small business, you are riding a tricycle. You can only go so fast. If you need to make up lost ground, it's not going to happen on a tricycle. No matter how fast you pedal, it's simply not going to win the race. Why do many people with no schooling and no advanced degree often become very wealthy? Simple. They choose to only ride 10 speeds. When it comes to helping people create their next revenue model, both Forbes and Inc. recommend Income Store as a can't-miss when it comes to putting people on a 10-speed. Could your household or business use an additional revenue model that doesn't solely depend on you? If so, you need to check out IncomeStore.com. That's IncomeStore.com. Let's face it, we love Alexa, and we love to let her find your favorite radio station. This one, of course. We love it, too, when she finds us. But she could find us easier if we taught her a simple skill. To get started, simply say, Alexa, enable the answer Pittsburgh skill. After she confirms, you can then say, Alexa, play the answer Pittsburgh. That's all you have to do, and Alexa will learn how to find us. You can listen to us through your Amazon Echo, Echo Show, Echo Dot, and Amazon Tap devices. Alexa, what is your favorite radio station? That's easy. AM 1250, the answer. Are you about to pay double for roof replacement or repair? If you haven't called Windows or Us, you just might. Many companies are overcharging area homes and businesses nearly double. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for siding, doors, gutters, downspouts, and roof replacement and repair. Factory certified by North America's largest roof manufacturer, Windows R Us will never overcharge. You'll love their no-pressure sales approach, straightforward pricing, and the fastest turnaround in the business. Right now, get zero interest for 12 months on up to $20,000. Windows R Us will match any competitor's price. No hidden fees or surprises ever. Schedule a free roof inspection today. Mention AM 1250 for an exclusive 10% off. Why pay double? Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company. Windows R Us, more than a window company. Visit windowsruspittsburgh.com. The average person considers estate planning just for the wealthy. Attorney Michelle Conti, host of Conti's Law on estate planning for the everyday person. There's a lot that goes into it. People take more time picking out what car they're going to buy, where they're going to go to dinner, as opposed to what happens to my children. The state will dictate who gets what if you don't indicate who is to receive your stuff upon your passing. We want to make sure we plan appropriately so that they get the best of both worlds. They continue to receive the benefit and they get the inheritance. The other thing you have to think about is tax planning. We try to be proactive in the approach that we minimize any type of tax consequence when somebody dies, depending on the value of the estate. These taxes range anywhere from 45 to 40%. So we try to make sure that the beneficiary will receive as much as they legally are able to. Hear more on Conti's Law, Sunday morning at 8.30, here on The Answer. For immediate help, visit ContiLawPGH.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. You want to take a little bit of extra time out there with the rain, sleet, freezing rain. Could see some slippery conditions. So, again, use some caution. Now, on the Parkway East outbound, it is really heavy from Forbes Avenue to Edgewood, Swissvale. Inbound delays Edgewood, Swissvale to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel, 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound Parkway West, you'll slow down from Banksville Road to Carnegie. On the inbound side, 79 to Carnegie is your delay. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer weather. 
Rain and some freezing rain will be changing over to snow and accumulate an inch or two before ending later on tonight. The low 30 degrees for tomorrow, a brisk and cold day with clouds. High 37, we can see some snow showers in the laurels tomorrow. Tomorrow night and into Saturday, mostly cloudy. The low tomorrow night, 30 degrees. Saturday's high, 38. I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle on AM 1250, The Answer. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. The fires are still burning out there in Northern California. Uh, more than 50 people have died. I don't know if there's any end in sight. Uh, it's getting, getting closer to getting them put out. But there's still a debate about what caused those fires and how to prevent them. Nick Loris is a Herbert and Joyce Fellow in Energy and Environmental, Environmental Policy at the Heritage Foundation. He knows all about this stuff. He joins us now. Nick, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we had you on a while ago to talk about uh, Donald Trump being blamed for the hurricanes, and uh, some people are maybe trying to figure out a way to blame him for the fires in Northern California. So how much of it is Donald Trump's fault, and how much of it might be the fault of all of us humans for letting the earth get too warm? Yeah, people are trying to blame climate change, as with every other natural disaster, it seems like. And, And one could argue that the humans are at fault here, but it's really the result of poor management of the forests that we've seen in the United States, and specifically California. There's been a number of uh, both regulations at the state level uh, and at the federal level uh, that really provide disincentives for um, the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Forest Service to properly thin the forest um, and for uh, the state of California um, and nonprofits and for-profit organizations to thin these forests. And when you have uh, over 129 million dead trees, um, I mean, that's just a timber box waiting to go up in flames. And unfortunately, we've had uh, very dry weather in California with strong offshore winds creating the problems that it did. Um, but some of this could have been prevented uh, had we seen the proper management um, Nevertheless, uh, blaming climate change is just really looking at, at the, the wrong uh, root of the problem when it comes to government policy. Uh, and President Trump was ridiculed, ripped, trashed, whatever you want to say, for tweeting. Maybe maybe his timing wasn't all that good with all the disaster going on and people dying. But he tweeted that uh, the problem is management, a forced management. Is he So he's right about that? Yeah, I don't think he did it in the most diplomatic way, but he he is right. Um, you know, climate change isn't the, the the problem here, and in fact, you can look at the trends uh, of wildfires, specifically uh, in the Northwest and Western United States, and even with increased CO two emissions, there hasn't been an increased frequency or intensity uh, in the wildfires uh, out in California or elsewhere in the West. Um, you know, the the growing problem, which has been um, something realized by both Democrats and Republicans has been wildfire management and forest management, and, and not even that, just also um, grazing management. You know, having proper grazing uh, can prevent some of these areas from really going up in flames because it, it, it'll, it would prevent the fire from spreading in the ways that it did. So, you know, having all of this timber... Um, just re- ready to go up at any time um, without any incentives to take care of it, uh, you really are looking at a human-caused problems as a result of regulations. The, the National Environmental Policy Act, for instance, uh, is a, a burdensome regulation that disincentivizes timber producers from going in there and harvesting this timber for uh, productive use. And if you have these policies that provide disincentives for companies to go out and uh, harvest the timber, um, you're going to create situations like this, unfortunately. And, and the result is uh, lost lives and um, you know billions and billions of dollars in, in economic and environmental damage. Well, two things about that. Uh, what would be the motivation to disincentivize people to clean it up and make it less likely to kill people? And also, um, is why isn't why haven't the people out there who see their homes being uh, destroyed and people dying? Why don't they buy that theory that you just threw out there? Yeah, I think uh, part of the problem is that you know that there's this uh, essence that we need to um, 
not have any type of human activity uh, on some of these lands and kind of treat them as if they're museums um, rather than um, trying to harvest the, the natural resources for productive use. And, you know, there's people out in the West that, that certainly get it and want to do something about it, um, but it hasn't been uh, the politicians out in California um, or even uh, the legislators in Congress who could ultimately do something to better incentivize uh, nonprofit and for-profit organizations to tend to uh, our forests. And so um, there's this entrenched special interest that, that thinks that we need to somehow um, keep these forests as the, the museum when, when it's really um, not creating the, the, the right incentives to um, productively maintain the forest that would ultimately result in healthier forests. And we've seen that in charter forests or in privately maintained forests, they are, are much healthier uh, in terms of uh, the, the growth of the forest, but also just in the, in the revenue that they generate from the timber production. And they're not susceptible to bark beetle infestations that we've seen on, on federal forests. Uh, and even on some state-owned forests. So there's all sorts of economic and environmental harms that come with uh, federal mismanagement uh, at, the, at the Forest Service. And while they're trying to do their best, I don't think they're bad people, but this is what happens when you own 640 million acres of land. Uh, you know, you just bite off more than you can chew. Now, you would think that uh, after a disaster like this, and I, I think they're calling this the worst one ever, um, out there, um, you would think that there would be some willingness to listen to something other than global warming caused this. Because even if you buy into the theory that this is all a result of human activity that created this uh, um, phenomenon as known as global warming, and if it's all true, and everybody did what all the all the alarmists want us to do, it's going to take you know how, how many hundreds of years before there's any. Uh, any positive effects from everything that they want us to do to uh, go along with their, you know, their thinking about global warming, but there might be another fire in a couple of years. So uh, who wants to wait a couple hundred years for the, the positive effects of all of us uh, adhering to their uh, guidelines for global warming? Yeah, and even then, the positive effects might not even be there. You know, we could reduce our CO2 emissions down to zero over the next 15 to 20 years, and you're still only talking about mitigating global temperatures a, a few hundredths of a degree Celsius by the turn of the century. So all of the policies that the left and climate activists are purporting to wean us off of affordable, reliable energy would come with it. huge, huge costs and insignificant, uh, negligible climate benefits that wouldn't uh, equip us to better protect against any type of natural disaster, whether it's a, a hurricane or a wildfire. In fact, it would just simply uh, suck up resources by shifting them to these politically preferred sources of energy that are more expensive. So it would put us in a, a worse position to deal with these natural disasters. And it, and it really um, takes uh, the focus off what could be otherwise productive solutions. Uh, again, uh, this has been no secret uh, that this was a, a, a matchbox uh, effectively waiting to go up in flames. And um, even though there was recognition uh, among some of the state legislators uh, in California to do something about it, Governor Brown uh, vetoed legislation that would have helped um, mitigate some of these concerns. Uh, so uh, this whole notion that, that, that we can just blame climate change and shift to low-carbon energy sources is a, a very costly non-solution and very distracting from what could be cost-effective, productive solutions. Talking to Nick uh, Loris, he's a Herbert and Joyce Morgan Fellow in Energy and Environmental Policy at the uh, Heritage Foundation. So what we have, Nick, is people, um, they're going to they're gonna build more houses on that land again, aren't they, if, if history is any indication? And they're, and yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, despite all of the, the cost and the damage that's done, death. you're still talking about prime real estate. Yeah. So uh, there, the government is not going to do anything to fix it, but they're going to allow, you know, especially out there, San Francisco, they have such a housing shortage because of zoning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're, so they're not shy about creating zoning for their purposes. So why would they allow after after all this after the fire is put out 
and the homes are, you know, and every, everything's recovered, they're going to build homes on the exact same spot and just wait for the next fire. That, that doesn't make a lot. Of, who's, who's going along with that? How are they getting away with that stupidity? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, it, it would if they came with the right reforms to actually allow uh, the state to manage their forests in the way that they should. But, I mean, you can look at trends of uh, the timber harvest permitting fees that have gone up significantly. Environmental challenges to uh, timber harvesting have gone up significantly over the years. And, and that's not going to stop. But I'd have more confidence in rebuilding in these areas if they actually looked at productive forest management um, procedures uh, that would uh, allow organizations to better prevent um, any type of opportunity for uh, fires to, to grow to the extent that they would. And so I think if you had better timber, timber harvest cycles um, that uh, have slowed significantly, if not stopped, uh, you wouldn't be in the situation that California was in over the past few weeks and is going to be in, in for the next you know, few months, uh, if not longer. So rebuilding, in, in my opinion, is okay if it came with the right policies, but unfortunately I think California hasn't learned from its mistakes um, from a number of different policies, not even just forest management policies, and they're going to... Um, be susceptible to the, the same type of damage in the future if they don't fix those problems. And uh, and the taxpayers out there, uh, there's a, there's a going to be a large bill for all this firefighting that's been going on for the last several weeks. Um, if if they don't, if they if they if they're so interested in preserving the forest for aesthetic reasons or whatever their reasons are, that's that'd be one thing. But are they trying to have it both ways? They want to have the beautiful forest, and then they still allow people to live there, which co- which causes which creates uh, more of a possibility of a fire. And then the people have to pay to put the fires out and to deal with everything that goes with those gigantic fires. And so, are they trying to have it both ways here? I mean, if, if you, in other words, if you just said. Hey, look, it's pretty dangerous out here. These fires can start at any time, so we're going to zone it so nobody can live here. And boy, the, the forests are going to stay pretty, and everybody's going to love them, but we're not going to have any big houses out here. Yeah, and I think you know, that that's a, probably a, a situation where they're, they're not going to get away with that. So unfortunately, the, the, the preference for them is to re, rebuild and put the pretty houses there uh, and not do anything to actually address what will be, again, this combustible fuel load in the forest, um, which has predictably soared when the regulations to harvest the timber uh, increase significantly and when 60% of that federal forest uh, or that forest in the the state of California is owned by the federal government. And so, um, yeah, that, that would be the... The, the, we want to have our cake and eat it too scenario where we want to rebuild in the way that we can but also protect the forests in the way that we think is the, the right way to protect the forests. Uh, unfortunately, they're not listening to the, the managers of the people who actually understand this issue the best. And that, you know, that is the folks in the timber industry and some of the organizations that understand the, the role of proper management in, in thinning and grazing that can really lead to a, a healthy, robust forest. Um, and allow people to live there, too, because it would minimize uh, the, these wildfires from spreading the way that they have in, in this last fire. Is this one more glaring example? And I have about a minute left here, uh, Nick. Is this one more glaring example of what happens uh, when too many people decide to live in a place where lots of people were never meant to live? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's part of it for sure. Uh, and I think uh, you know, one problem is, is you subsidize those um, living areas as well and so people aren't always paying the true cost uh for living in areas where they should because you might have subsidized flood insurance or or elsewhere or expecting uh taxpayers to to foot the bill for any type of natural disaster and and so it it doesn't cover the true cost of where these people live um and so that's an issue too and i I really think that the heart of it is that the government simply just owning too much land and too many resources. When the federal government owns nearly a third of the United States, I think that's a real root of the problem of proper management. Well, Nick, uh, I, I guess with the next natural disaster, I, I may be calling you again. Just to, and unfortunately, it'll be to talk about the stupidity that goes along with it and uh, government. That's stupidity. probably right. Hopefully, it's uh, later rather than sooner. <laughs> All right, thanks, Nick.
Appreciate it. Okay. And that's Nick Lawrence, and I'm sure we'll have him on again. And when we come back, some real stupidity from Kamala Harris, who thinks she may be running for president uh, in 2020. Pretty sickening. Stick around. Don't be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. The 2018 Donut Hole is closing fast. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you have some important decisions to make today. This is John Stagerwald. Medicare is confusing. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know you have questions, and they have the answers you're looking for. Before you lock in for another year, are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold Pat for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year, and how much? Should you switch your Part D prescription plan or drop it all together? Don't go it alone. Let Marley Financial steer you to a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want. A plan that focuses not just on cost, but quality, with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none. Why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses? Visit MarleyFG.com today. That's MarleyFG.com. The original Mattress Factory's mission is simple. We hand-build quality mattresses in our local factories. We sell those mattresses directly to our customers so we can eliminate the middleman, saving you hundreds of dollars compared to mainstream brands. While the other guys have their gimmicks, the original Mattress Factory has a straightforward approach and is committed to quality and doing what's best for our customers. It's what we've done for almost 30 years. Go to OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. Great beds, no bull. That is the original Mattress Factory difference. Quality products plus factory direct prices equals great value. Mattresses that are designed with better materials. Mattresses that are hand-built in local factories. Mattresses that cost hundreds less than the mainstream mattress brands. Now I know what you're thinking. This all sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it isn't. Stop by one of our factory locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made, honestly priced. Regional Asset District this month is expected to rubber stamp millions of dollars more in public money to help pay for upgrades to PNC Park and Heinz Field. Never mind that taxpayers continue to pay off the construction bills of both facilities. But a recent study by the Allegheny Institute for Public Policy found that the Pirates and Steelers have not been paying any rent for their venues. Learn more about these sweetheart deals at AlleghenyInstitute.org, where conventional thinking is challenged every day. This Christmas, the tradition continues with Bill Gaither and the Gaither Christmas Homecoming Tour with special guests, the Neelands, Charlotte Ritchie, Kevin Williams, and Mark Lowry. 6 p.m. Saturday night, December 1st at the First Summit Arena in Johnstown. Tickets available now at 800-745-3000, the First Summit Arena box office, or at Gaither.com. Produced by Fill the Gap Concerts. You wouldn't put a square peg in a round hole. So why would you deploy a traditional firewall in a modern decentralized network? Firewalls have new requirements for businesses leveraging SaaS-based applications and public cloud platforms like AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. We're in the cloud generation now, so your firewalls have to be engineered to fit right in. Reclaim your cloud network. Try a Barracuda cloud generation network or application firewall free at barracuda.com slash firewalls. Healthy pets, healthy people, focusing on a natural, holistic approach for human and animal wellness. Host Dr. Edmund Sulkowski and his guests discuss various topics on health and wellness for us and our companion animals. Airs each Saturday, live from 9 to 10 in the morning on 1250 AM, The Answer, giving you the opportunity to call in with your questions. A healthy pet is a happy pet, and being healthy makes people happy. Tune in, listen, learn, be well. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, Ronald Vitiello ran into some Democrat stupidity today. He's been nominated to be Assistant Homeland Security Secretary for Immigration. And Kamala Harris, the senator from California, who's considered one of the front runners for the nomination for the Democrats in 2020, tried to get him to admit that ICE is like the Ku Klux Klan. Are you aware of the perception of um, many about how the, the, the power and the discretion at ICE is being used to enforce the laws? And do you see any parallels? I do not see any parallels between I'm talking about perception. officers and agents. I'm talking about perception. 
I, I do not see a parallel between what is constitutionally mandated as it, as it relates to enforcing the law. Are you aware that there's a rights. perception? I see no Are you aware that there's a that perception? That puts ICE in the same category as the KKK. Is that what you're asking me? Uh, no, I'm very specific about what I'm asking you. Are you aware of a perception that the way that the discretion... I see to no inf- parallel. I'm not finished. I see none. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Are you aware that there's a perception that... that ICE is administering its power in a way that is causing fear and intimidation, um, um, particularly among immigrants and, and specifically among immigrants coming from Mexico and Central America. Are you aware of that perception? I, I do not see a parallel between the power and the authority that ICE has to do its job and the agents and officers who do it professionally and excellently with lots of compassion. Sir, how can you be the head of an agency and be unaware of how your agency is perceived by certain communities? There is a lot of perceptions in the media and in the public that are incorrect about the agency. But the perception exists, would you agree? Whether or not it's correct. And wouldn't you agree then that if that perception exists... There might need to be some work done to correct the perception. I, I do want to advocate for the workforce, uh, the, the, the vital public safety mission that they have to protect the homeland. And I think more people need to know how valuable they are to the society. Um, so I agree with you on that. So what she wanted to, uh, what she tried to force him to admit and agree on is that uh, there is a perception out there, just because she says there is, that the that ICE is in some way, in any way, similar to the Ku Klux Klan. What an idiotic perception she has of anything, and what how, how could she even be considered uh, for the presidency of the United States with that kind of stupidity? That was unbelievably stupid. And by the way, before I go, you can get this show now on iTunes. Just search for the John Stagerwall Show to get the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast channel. All new episodes are up within a half hour, and I'm within how many seconds? 15 seconds of being done. So I'm done for today, and that means you can listen to the podcast tonight and see me back here tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.